All right, and we are back with another episode of the Cousin Soccer Podcast. Um, I am Clark. And I'm Hector. And yeah, like Clark said, we're back with another episode of some Premier League talk for you guys. Um, we'll just dive into some of the recent developments from just a look at the table, a little more specific stuff on a few teams. There was a cup final this past weekend. Um, so yeah, why don't we start at the top, Clark? Why don't we we take a look at that table? Um, you know, Man City still sitting at the top with 66 points. Uh, there was an interesting moment at the end of that match. I don't know if what what your take was on that that handball. It was a handball. I mean, you said it. VAR failed. I guess kind of once again, but what's new? I feel like the Premier League in handballs has been um, very inconsistent at best. And it's disappointing to see, you know, a game get decided on something that shouldn't maybe have happened or maybe should have happened, you know, missed opportunities. Yeah, I mean, there was um, the the biggest takeaway I had is just you can just kind of throw it on the pile of uh, another VAR issue, specifically, you know, pertaining to Manchester City. Mm -hmm. It's... It's almost like feeding the conspiracy theories that people have about there's an agenda with it, which deep down, I don't think there is. I think the the whole thing, they're just that inept that we naturally try to blame it on the teams that are succeeding. I, I'm sure if you actually broke it down, there'd be just as many things going against City. But yeah, it, it's just it's it's frustrating to see. It's laughable because it you watch the video and you just. I don't understand how it wasn't called. That that exactly. I, I really can't even like there's to me there's like it, it takes away from the rest of the game just that moment was so decisive. It's just insane too when you think about it, because it's like I don't know what else they see or like that's that's why I feel like VAR gets so much slack is because like moments like these, there's no transparency on why it was called this way. And the transparent when they do, they're like, Oh, well, we made a mistake. And it's like it's too late now. The game's already been yeah. decided. You can't just be like, oh, well, we messed up. We'll do better next time. And then the next time something like this happens, they don't do any better. Right. At some point, they need to find something. With, like, it, the, the, I don't think the answer is taking away VAR because at the same time, there are some calls that you're, you know, you are, they're very clearly called incorrectly on the field and there's good reason to change those. But there just needs to be a, a clearer communication kind of like honestly kind of like what the um the nfl refs do where they give a, a an actual explanation of what happened what sometimes as simple as the ball touched the ground or something like the refs would would have to at least put themselves on the line with this is our thinking behind this decision that alone would i think at least push these refs to side on like the more logical judgment call which is what we want at the end of the day. Like you, you don't need this game. It's not robots out there on the field. Mistakes are still going to happen. But I think if the if the pressure is on to have an explanation behind your decision, I think that alone is going to lead to a lot more logical thinking uh, when it comes to reviewing these plays. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, so Liverpool played right, but they didn't play the league. They played what Carabao Cup. Yeah, the Carabao Cup final. You know, rarely <laughs> the Carabao Cup kind of gets left behind, rightfully so. 
by by most fans. Uh, but this, in my opinion, was one of the best cup finals we've had in, in quite some time. Not even just the penalty shootout. Like, the, the, game, the match as a whole was fantastic. It was a very chippy match. Yeah, of, I mean... A lot of tempers were flaring up. Yeah, and a lot of times you're like... I mean, especially when, when your team isn't participating in the final, you're, or at that point in the stage, whatever it is, you're kind of rooting for the underdogs to, to push through and kind of get some of these top teams out of the way, but it almost ended up being a blessing in disguise that we had just two top teams because they both really went at it and tried to, to take it home and, uh, you know, had an absolutely insane penalty shootout, um, even had the goalies take a shot, which you always love to see. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think both of these teams kind of realized that, you know, as Chelsea realized, this might be one of their only chances for a trophy this season. Same with Liverpool, if they can't catch up to City in the league or if they can't have success in the Champions League. So, you know, silverware is silverware, and people will always look back on that to determine whether or not you had a successful season. So I think there is that part of it. But yeah, for the most part, I feel like most people are like, oh, it's just the Carabao Cup. But yeah, but, I, I, that's that's a really good point. I think um, not that Liverpool, like you're saying, they they obviously are in a much stronger position to, to contend for more titles. But at the end of the day, if you're 90 minutes away from at least securing one, you, you got to take your chance to 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 win it because nothing else is guaranteed exactly um so obviously with chelsea sitting there at 50 points um they lost the carabao cup as we just said um and then there was actually some interesting news with them with the whole thing i guess their owner abramovich um he is selling the club and set up a charitable fund for all the victims of the war so all the sale Proceeds of the sale are going to this fund, which will be going to, I guess, the victims, which that's, I think we've discussed it. That's probably the first time in history that <laughs> anything like this has ever happened. Yeah, I think the the first, I think first judgment any most of us had when you see the situation playing out is to pass a doubt and to like, just assume they're trying to, before, you know, we had this, this info about the the charity work, but assuming he was just trying to distance him, distance himself before things got more serious with any sort of sanctions and all that. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't necessarily wipe out any sort of, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know the full details of what, of Abramovich's past or anything like that. But regardless, that money will be greatly appreciated if it's put to that type of good use. I think that's the most important thing to, to take out of that. So especially when you look at how much like a team like Chelsea is worth. Yeah, so, you're talking about two to three billion dollars probably heading to that. Yeah, very big club. Especially over the past, you know, decade, they've just really exploded in value from that aspect. Um Yeah, and his his departure is gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens, uh, depending on who buys. I know there's been a few people that have already kind of their names have popped out. Um uh, I think it's some Swiss billionaire. I know he has some support from the same group that owns the Dodgers here in the United States. And I think 
Chelsea fans rightfully are are probably skeptical of American investment in soccer clubs over there because as we've seen with other teams, they like to kind of treat it as just a another revenue stream for themselves and you know Chelsea coming from all this success where money was poured into the club I'm sure they're hoping that that kind of can continue yeah of course I mean a lot of their success has been directly from him just pouring money into the team whenever you know they needed a new guy they would spend you know 80 million 100 million to get you know two two guys like that so it's it's It'll definitely be a nice or interesting thing to watch play out. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll see. See all you can say about that. Um, and then Manchester United, I'll go more into that. They tied against Watford when they absolutely shouldn't have. Um, and then if you go through the next few teams that are kind of fighting for that uh, fourth place spot, Arsenal's in a really good place. They've won their last three match. Yeah, last three matches. Um, they play Watford this weekend, and they're kind of flying right at the moment. So, yeah, it'll be... And they have, like, multiple games in hand. Yeah, they're, they're in a really good position to take that fourth spot. Yes, they are. I agree. Um, West Ham, they just played Wolves. That was one of the matchups we were talking about that's going to potentially have a pretty big impact on the top four race. Um, they won, um, but they play Liverpool this weekend, which will be, I think, a huge match for them and then also a very big match for Liverpool just to hopefully keep, you know, they're going to want to keep their momentum going to kind of catch up with City. Um, and then Wolves, not the best form out of the past two games. They've lost the past two and they have a tough matchup versus Crystal Palace, which they're not like a, as we know, a great team. But I feel like Crystal Palace is always tough to play. They're just one of those tough teams that, you know, their record never matches how well, I guess, you know, how hard of a match it will be. Agreed. I think Palace is the perfect example of a team that you look at the spot in the table most years and you think, oh, you know, we're going to take three points this weekend. But then for some reason, the, the match gets complicated. They're physical and they're, you know, they're kind of a scary team because they can surprise you. And then, yeah, Spurs had <laughs> another another weekend. It's we, we can talk about Spurs a little more in a bit, um, just more in depth. But wow, just another another week of of Tottenham just one day it's one thing one day it's a whole different thing I we'll, we'll get into that in a bit yeah then yeah, that that stuff to me is just nuts so it's also what was nuts is I don't know how much of the Manchester United Watford match you watched but um, from a neutral standpoint, or anyone that's a fan of any of the other top four teams, or just hates United, they loved watching this happen. You got to see Ronaldo get really pissed off. You got to miss him, watch him miss multiple really high-scoring chances. Uh, you had got to watch Rashford have just an awful game. You know, all of the pretty much anything bad that could have happened did. They had twenty-two shots and ended with three shots on target. They had, you know, unexpected goals of, you know, 2.5 or something like that, and could not, could not score. It was 
really hard to watch. I think you saw me freaking out throughout, you know, that group chat. But oh man, Pogba was bad. Juan Basaka led to multiple giveaways that just turned into like chances. Um, this team is just so inconsistent and just can't finish. They create so many chances, but just cannot finish. And it's really, really hard to watch. You know, the only bright spots in that game were Modic, Alanga, and like Fred. I mean, De Gea had a save here and there, but I don't know. After that result, I honestly think it may be impossible to keep, you know, fourth place without winning your next three matches. Yeah, I think um, we're kind of seeing United hit a wall here that if you kind of watch, you know, if you've been watching them all year, when the coaching change happened, you know, since then there was a a little bit of ups and downs, but overall I would say a very consistent, like, playing decent football. Mm -hmm. And um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you had been watching the whole season, you would probably be able to see that as you've gone into it in the past, this team is still really capped in certain areas. Um, it's kind of it feels like it's the it's built on its attack and that attack is kind of just composed of players who individually are very talented, but there's not a lot of kind of cohesion between them. Um, Bruno being the one that I would say fits in the best mostly because I could see him playing with anyone. Um, just he's that talented and he's that good at, of a playmaker. But yeah, I I kind of agree with you. It, it, it seems difficult for Man U to hold on to that spot just with Arsenal really, you know, catching momentum behind them. And who knows, like, kind of like similar to, to what Tottenham's facing right now, being in that position could force some sort of change, whether that's investment in the midfield finally, or just kind of, you know, that Ronaldo purchase again, like, yeah, he's had his moments, but it, there was no reason for it. Like there was so many better ways to improve the club. Um, and you know, that kind of drastic situation where you're, you were in the top four, you fall out of it after changing coaches, after bringing in Ronaldo, it might be the kind of change that's needed to kind of, push United towards a, you know, a bigger idea. It, it feels like they've just kind of been treading water, trying to like float above it ever since uh, Fergie left. And, you know, you're never going to get another guy like him. Like that's, that's a generational best in your history type of coach. But I think United needs to kind of try to get back to that, where it's like not just finding one star to fix this problem, but kind of like fixing the institution as a whole. Right. And so that's one of the interesting things is we're seeing, you know, uh, Ranić is a good tactician. The team has definitely improved. Their defense has gotten better. Their chances at attack has gotten a lot better. They just haven't been finishing. Um, but, you know, he has a vision as the new future technical director of the team that he wants to have input on, you know, who they hire and... You know, Pochettino's in that list, uh, Ten Hag is in the list, and there's a couple others. It's pretty interesting to see. Honestly, I would prefer someone that's going to, you know, just play young guys, be open to whatever, and just actually have maybe a hand in choosing players. And I think with Ranić, 
he's going to push for a specific style, and I think that's going to be beneficial because, like you said, they have no vision for this team. It's just been buy this guy, buy that guy, hope it works, and, you know, it has had some mild success, but, you know, you can't you can't plan for the future if, you know, there is no plan. You can't do anything to actually improve the team. Agreed. If you're going to be buying a Ronaldo who is the most one dynamic, you know, one-dimensional player, he may be good at scoring goals, but, you know, he's he was not, not what this needed. Exactly. Yeah, simple as that. I would be very happy with the 10 uh, hack, uh, you know, hiring. Maybe with Pogba leaving, you might see Donny van de Beek reemerge as the potential Ballon d'Or player that he was the season before United bought him. Still don't know why they did that while still having Pogba or just never using him, but that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, they're, they're inconsistent, and it's hard to watch. <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of hard to watch, you know, we can talk about Tottenham here. Coming fresh off a 4-0 victory over Leeds. Uh, You know, kind of felt like they had righted the ship after that Burnley loss was sandwiched in between. But then they turn around and lose to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup 1-0. That game went to overtime. Tottenham just looked absolutely toothless the entire game. They, you would have thought they were playing another like middle of the table Premier League team with the way that match was kind of just very even throughout the entire thing. Um, so many issues. I don't, I don't even know where to start. You know, Harry Winks was an absolute disaster in the midfield. Kane and Son both lost possession. I think it combined, I believe the number I saw was 38 times. Um, and just some some miscommunications and some some bad moments on the defensive back line. Honestly, if, if they were the closest that I would describe to having a solid game, but still could have done a lot better. Uh, but yeah, just more of the same from Tottenham. One week, one match, they'll look incredible. The next match, they'll look like they are in the relegation battle. Um, you know, Antonio Conte has had. I don't know if I'd call them outbursts, but very serious statements after games that have looked like this. Um, you know, he, he also has come out and talked about how he is committed to the team and, you know, how he seems pretty confident that he's going to be able to write the ship at some point, whether it's after the summer window or something, but yeah, I don't know what, what else you can do here. The you've gone now through, you know, Pochettino, Mourinho, Nuno for a bit and, and Conte, and Ryan Mason as an interim in between, but you're still seeing the same issues that you would see years ago. And I think that that pretty much is what, to me, points to the issue here is the players just aren't good enough. Whether you're talking about guys like Harry Winks or uh, Hoiberg, I don't like there's so many that you can pick out that have these types of moments. And I really do think the blame mostly kind of falls on them at this point. Like, Daniel Levy as well, like, don't get me wrong, he, he, his failure to kind of back coaches in the past and kind of try to get by on just cheap, smart signings, it works to an extent, but it's, you know, those are the type of decisions that will leave you limited, like the situation they're in now. But yeah, we've seen it so much and it's always, it feels like it's always the same people. Um, so until Tottenham kind of changes that, 
I don't think you're going to see anything different. Um, I, th- I, I think the, the winter window was a, a good start. A lot of the guys who would fall into that same description were kind of shipped out and it felt like the start of a change. Granted, it was hard to, to really invest back into the club in the winter. Although the two signings, the two big signings that were made, both have looked mostly spectacular in their time on the field. So, you know, I think those are going to end up looking like good decisions, but yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this summer. I think the race for top four is over for Tottenham at this point. I think you just got to shoot for Europa League or some sort of European football and hope that that's enough to kind of entice other players to come this summer. I, I mean, I like you said, I don't think there's really much more that Conte can do from his point of view. Like, he's done as much as he can. He's tried to, you know, light a fire to these guys and... It's just impressive the amount of inconsistency, you know. They're they're some they're consistently the most inconsistent club in right. Europe. Right. They're consistently inconsistent. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Watching just seeing some of the stats, seeing some of the highlights, it's just like you said, they look like a team that I'm blown away that like you know it's a Premier League team when you see some of the stuff that happens and then you know next game they're gonna you know pop off score seven goals and everyone's gonna be you know flying highs. But who who takes the blame? Like, are the players gonna take it? I feel like Conte's can only take so much before you know he'll pop and you know be like, all right guys, I'm yeah, I'm I think out. publicly Conte right now is doing a good job of kind of like making it clear like not necessarily throwing players on the bus just demanding that they need to be better which i think is 100 percent true i think ultimately the blame right like it's going to be on the players for now to simply be better because we know they can be and because we've seen them play better um but by the by you know five to seven months from now once that summer window is open Ultimately, if there's no changes, it's going to be Daniel Levy, who I think is going to be really facing some heat because people already want him out. Like it's already it's already pretty ugly how the kind of relationship between the fans and and, uh, the board and all those people is right now. And it's only going to get worse if Antonio Conte isn't properly backed. Now, properly backed doesn't even necessarily mean throwing 150 million dollars out there this went this uh summer but just making the right decisions purchasing the right players like tottenham needs they need a better midfield like as a whole basically they need another center back like there's a lot of spots that need to be addressed and you know once you look at the names of coaches who have been here and you realize how many of the same players have been here through the same ups and downs and the same kind of like great one week fall flat on your face the next I think it's going to be, you know, the players facing it and then ultimately the guy that is bringing in these players and refuses to bring in new ones. So, yeah, I, honestly, if if there's any issues with Conte's, you know, demands this summer, you know, as long as they're actually realistic, um, I think Daniel Levy, if he doesn't back him properly, that's where that's really where it's going to get ugly. And, and he might kind of feel the pressure to step aside but who knows like it's going to be i think the the like i said the chase for the top four is over i think you just got to fight for any sort of european football at this point and then 
really go in this summer because that that might be your last chance to keep yourself as like a that top six consistent Premier League club. I agree, especially with the emergence of West Ham and Wolves these past few seasons. Yeah, that you know the top six has gotten a lot more competitive, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So yeah, we got some pretty big matches this weekend. We got Liverpool versus West Ham. Um, that's on Saturday, the fifth, and then you got on Sunday, um, the sixth. You got Watford versus Arsenal, and then Manchester City versus Manchester United, and then Monday you got Spurs versus Everton, which also should be pretty good because Everton's kind of starting to turn things around. At least it looked like it the past few games. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It should be, you know, we should have some good football coming up. Well, um, I think that's that's about it for today. Thanks for, you know, listening, and uh, have to, you'll, you'll get to listen to us next time. All right, bye guys.